0: You saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest, and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before you sorry armed before your brothers, and shall help them, until the Lord gives rest to your brothers, as he has to you. You shall return to Uh, Then you shall return to the land of your possession, and you shall possess it. The The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. You know, Joshua as a book, belongs to the books in the Bible called the former prophets. The former prophets are basically the books of Joshua up to two kings, excluding the, the book of Ruth. Um, and uh, it sums up the history of Israel from the time that Moses led them up until they go into exile in 586 BC to, into, into Babylon. So it's roughly a thousand year period that these, uh, these books are covering. Now, you need to understand about these historical books, their main purpose isn't to reveal different characters uh, to us. They are to reveal one main character to us, and that is God. Their main purpose is to reveal the person of God to us through how he deals with the different people that we read about in these books. And so when when we're looking at them, and uh, trying to apply their principles and teachings to our lives. We have to be careful not to just go and make straight comparisons. Oh, this is what happened there. or this is what they did. So that must be okay. So this is what I should do as well. You can get yourselves into a, a lot of trouble if you do that going uh, uh, with, with these books. So whilst we need to look at what it says in the Bible, we need to and think about, well, what does this mean for the original audience who, who were alive at the time or the first people to read the books when it, when it was written? And then we need to think about, okay, well, that's what it meant to them. Well, how, uh, what principles can I draw out from uh, the Bible? Before we then look at applying it to our lives, we have to ask the question, particularly with any book that we read in the Old Testament, does the New Testament... Qualify or modify the teaching that I'm reading, and uh, and then once we've we've looked at that, then we can look at applying it. Our lives. I said, otherwise you could get into uh, a lot of trouble. Otherwise, you know, where it says, uh, and uh, uh, whatever you command, if they don't obey your commands, whatever that we command them, you should be put to death. You know, we could get we we could we could get into serious uh, uh, trouble if we don't look at how the New Testament modifies and qualifies that that teaching. When we come to Scripture as well, we must come humbly, recognizing that this is the very Word of God to us. And if we have a problem with it, it's us that has the problem, not the Bible. And the problem may be in our understanding. We may be misunderstanding Scripture and what it's teaching us, and we need to uh, look into that further. Or it could be that we have a moral problem, that our moral compass is out of sync with what God says it should be. And my friends, it's us that need to change then, not, not God, because God is always right. And the reason I'm highlighting this is because Joshua, as we go through it, it does have some difficult bits for us to understand. I've already read a bit where about putting someone to death if they're disobedient. The, but the main bit that people struggle with the book of Joshua is where God commands Joshua to devote the inhabitants of the land that were there, to destruction. All of them, men, women, children. And that's something that people misunderstand. People mistake that to me. Ah, does that mean God was for genocide? God instigated genocide in this time, which, my friends, he he did not. It's not not, uh, uh, about that. You know, I've worked in East Africa. I've seen firsthand... The brutal scars of genocide, of ethnic cleansing on individuals and on people groups as well. And that is is evil. And that's not what's going on here. Worse so, some people try and use that to justify the killing and the removal of people from land in this day and age as well. And that's not how we apply these scriptures. You see, the Bible makes it clear that God loves all people. People, the blessing of um, that God gave to Abraham was to be a blessing to all peoples. Jesus gets the disciples and he sends them out to every tribe, tongue, and nation. The in Revelation chapter 7, we see that before the Lamb is people from every ethnic group worshipping. The, the, the Jesus before the throne. So how are we correctly to understand this difficult issue that we come across when going through the book of Joshua? Well, firstly, we need to note that this is not the normal way that Israel was supposed to engage in battle. You can see in Deuteronomy 20, if you were to, to look at it, that when Israel is engaged in battle with the other nations around it, its first... It's firstly supposed to try and seek peace terms with them, see if it can be at peace with them. If war happens, then it makes it clear that the the non-combatants, if you like, the the women and the children, were to be spared as well. So why are the tribes in the promised land devoted to destruction uh, in this book? Why does God do that? Was it because... He, you know, sort of, there wasn't enough land to go around, or because he was suddenly having an off day and he just had enough of those people. No, it wasn't anything to to do with that. What the Bible tells us is that these people were really, really wicked. They were sexually very, very perverse, even uh, promoting bestiality. And also they engaged in child sacrifice as well. And for over 400 years, God put up with their wickedness. Even though the patriarchs walked amongst them as witnesses amongst them, even though they had the righteous king Melchizedek uh, uh, in their midst as well, even though... God had sent them signs through Sodom and Gomorrah of his judgment of that type of behavior. They refused to change their ways and they persisted in their wickedness and in their evil. And so, actually, this was God pouring out his righteous judgment on these people for their moral perversion. I tell you, it acts as a strong warning to us in the UK today who tolerate all these things in our land as well today. Secondly, we note when God brings the people of Israel out of Egypt and he judges Egypt for what they do, actually, if you take a close look at what happens there, it tells you that many of the Egyptians honored and feared Moses. And then you get this passage in Exodus 12, verse 38, that tells you that a whole multitude of people went up with the people of Israel and were sort of amalgamated into the tribe of Israel. So you get a little bit later, you find out that Moses has a Cushite wife. He has a wife from where I go, South Sudan, effectively, as well. That's where Cush was in, in that region. You also find also that people, as we go through the book of Joshua, a lady like Rahab and her family, because they rejected their gods and chose the God of Israel are also included in the people of Israel. And Rahab actually has the greatest honor of being one of the ancestors of Jesus Christ himself, as does Ruth, a Moabite, who later, during the period of the Judges, comes and joins the, the people of Israel. You see, those who were open to humbling themselves before God could escape death and receive God's forgiveness. However, like Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the Hittites, Canaanites, and the other tribes that were in the, the land refused to repent before God, refused to turn to him, and, uh, and refuse his kindness. And so God hardens them in their way. He gives them up, it tells us in Romans 24. So, okay, if you're going to choose to do that, this is what it's going to look like and I'll make an example of you for others to, to learn from. In Joshua we see God giving these people who for over 400 years had rejected him up to, uh, to uh, say okay you can resist my purposes and this is what uh, the outcome will be. You will face my righteous judgment coming towards you. Those who humble themselves were delivered. So we need to understand that this was a unique time in Israel's history. It was, uh, and God was bringing judgment on these people for moral, not ethnic reasons. And also the final point to note as well, Israel itself, its ability to remain in the land that God had given them, Deuteronomy 28 tells us, is dependent on its obedience to following God as well. So that's how we're to understand it. How then do we apply it, all this uh, stuff, to our uh, lives today? Do you know, the New T- Testament does modify this, this teaching, so we apply it differently. You see, what you often find as physical realities in the Old Testament have uh, just foreshadows of the greater spiritual reality that is revealed for all mankind in the New Testament. Jesus says to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting for me. It's not a physical kingdom. It's about a spiritual reality uh, in the New Testament. Jesus earlier told his disciples to put away their swords, for all who live by the sword shall perish by the sword. You see that in Matthew 26. But we as Christians, we're not to engage in physical warfare. So when we talk about taking the land and taking the town for, for Jesus, as all these phrases will come out during a, a, the, the, this series, we're not talking about anything physical, any sort of physical rebellion or you know, that, 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 that sort of thing. We're talking about a spiritual reality. You see, we do have weapons as Christians, but as Paul tells us in the book of Corinthians, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is is complete. So we apply this to a spiritual battle, not to a physical battle. We are called to destroy those arguments that are against God in order to try and bring people to Jesus, which will try and point people uh, to Jesus. So they escape God's judgment that is coming and, uh, can, uh, and can receive his acceptance and his, his peace. But we also apply it internally to ourselves as well. That passage tells us there. We apply it internally through... The fact that we don't give room in our hearts, if you like, the land of our, our hearts, to, to lust and to jealousies and to malice and to hatred and to evil thoughts and to uh, uh, wickedness and all those sorts of things. We, we deal with them. We put them out of our heart. We devote those sorts of attitudes in our hearts to destruction because they're not of God, and we come humbly before God and we repent of those things when they raise up in us, as they all do from time to time. And we uh, ask God to help us to grow in love, in joy, in peace, in patience, in goodness, in kindness, in gentleness, and in self control as well. We recognize as Christians as well that all this is made possible. Through Jesus Christ. Now, it's not like Christianity isn't a sort of a self help thing, oh, we must try and improve ourselves. It's a recognition of, oh my goodness, I can't do it by myself. I need Jesus. Jesus was the only one who did this perfectly, the only one who was good enough for God, the only one who never thought or said or did anything that was wrong, that offended God. He never came under God's judgment because he never did anything wrong. And yet he chose to go to the cross for you and for me, who each one of us have done many things, we've said many things, and we've thought even more things that are wrong and offensive before God. And as we turn to Jesus and put our faith in him, as if you haven't done that this morning, you can do that even this morning. As you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, he delivers us, out of the kingdom of darkness, which is destined for God's judgment, and He brings us into the kingdom of light, where we know we've got our future secured for all eternity. Knowing that we have entered, we have uh, entered into, and we are entering into the rest that God truly has for us. Which the people of Israel, as they moved into the promised land, that rest is only a hint of the rest that awaits the. Uh, that those people who put their faith in Jesus, the rest that we will fully enjoy when Christ returns in, in glory and we go to be with him for all eternity. You see, that's how we're to apply the book of Joshua to us today. It's not about a physical battle. It's about a spiritual reality that we are living in. It's about a spiritual battle which we need to choose to engage in. So I've taken longer than I would normally on that because of the misconceptions that can easily come about. And it's very important, particularly in this day and age where we see lots of uh, uh, horrible uh, things going on in the news in the name of of religion, actually, that we understand that and that we make that clear right from the start. So anyway, let's let's dive into this passage. Firstly, One of the first things we notice about Joshua is that he knew the voice of the Lord. He knew how to hear from God. We see early on in his career, if you look back when we first come across Joshua, he was Moses' assistant. And when Moses would go into the tent of meeting to pray, where God would meet with him face to face, and then he would leave, we discover actually Joshua Valued the presence of God, and he would stay in that present, in that place all night. He was a man of God's presence. He was a man of God's spirit. We're told in Numbers twenty-seven. He was a man who uh, the, he's encouraged by God there to keep the words of Moses, to keep the book of the law, and the the book of Joshua bears out that he was a man that listened to what God had said, and he did put into action those things that he sees in there. When Joshua needed guidance, he went and sought God afresh. You know, it's interesting that phrase there, isn't it? Where it says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, not your mind, your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. What that's meaning is not only is Joshua somebody supposed to think about it and live by it, but also he's to share what he has learned with other people around him. That's why it should be on his mouth, because he's talking to others about what God has done and what God has said. My friends, how are you this morning doing at hearing from the Lord? Has your heart become dull to feeling God speak to you, to listening to those, uh, the, the Spirit's promptings? in your life you know sometimes your heart can become dull because you've made room in your heart for those Hittites and Canaanites if you like of the heart by allowing uh, lust to dwell there or allowing bitterness to dwell there or unforgiveness to dwell in your heart if you allow those things to dwell there that will dull your ability to hear from God to hear God speaking to you and prompting from you it will dull your sense of his presence with you But if you deal with them and you try to live for God, you try to live for what he's revealed in his word, the Bible makes it clear there's a blessing on you. There's a blessing on your life as you put that into practice. Now, my friends, how are you doing spending time with God in prayer? Spending time with God in his word, the Bible, for listening to him, listening to what he's told us. You know, there's seasons in life where it's, it's difficult to actually uh, spend time with it every day because of illness or young children or, 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 or whatever. Sometimes there's seasons in that, but this should, where it's more difficult. But my friends, this should be a heart attitude. Our cry should be that we spend time listening to God, studying God's words so that we can understand him more. Joshua was a man who knew how to hear the voice of the Lord's. My friends, does that describe you? Does that describe me this morning? We need to be men and women. As we enter this season, as we enter this season of looking to take the gospel out onto the streets more, of living for him, we need to be people that are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, people of his word. Do you know the voice of the Lord this morning? Secondly, need to be strong and courageous in the Lord. Not only did Joshua know the voice of the Lord, but he also drew strength from it, acted upon it, and put it into practice. You know, notice how God affirms Joshua as leader in Moses' stead and promise him that he will be with him and that he will lead the people into the promised land promises that no one will be able to stand against him promises him that he will have success wherever he goes but three times he says to him be strong and courageous one time he says be very courageous and the last time he says this which has kind of been now one of the key verses that we've drawn upon this week is where he says be strong and courageous do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now Joshua knew when God said, wherever you go, it was wherever you go in the promised land that I've told you to go into. He couldn't take the people back to Egypt, for example. Uh, that would be rebellion as uh, had happened previously under, under Moses. But he knew that even in fulfilling what God had commanded him to do, in the natural it, the obstacles and the opposition was too strong for Israel to to actually deal with with their with their own strength. They needed God. You know, crossing the Jordan, for example. But, you know, it says in three days' time, we're going to cross the Jordan. But that was no easy thing. And the Bible tells us that at, the, at that point in time, the Jordan was swollen. It was impossible. He was clearly expecting God to do a miracle. Jericho, a city walled up to the heavens, it was described as. Uh, That, again, was going to be, how on earth were they going to defeat that? There were giants in the land uh, uh, of Canaan. How are we going to defeat them? My friend, it would take great strength of character, of faith, and courage to engage, just to engage in what God had called them, which is probably why he says to Joshua three times, Be strong, be courageous. And my friends, us at Christchurch, God would say to us this morning, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He has great things for you to do in your workplace, in your street where you live, amongst your friends and your neighbours, those people that you rub shoulders with. God has great things for you to do, but it's going to take courage. It's going to take strength of character, boldness for us to actually engage when God says, go and speak to your neighbour about me. Go and invite him to the quiz night that we've got coming up. Go and, go and speak to him about me. It ta- you know, there's that sense of, oh, no, not me, I can't do that. And, uh, and then, oh, no, no. okay, it takes courage of character for to step out in that way. To pray for somebody for, for healing, even though other people might be, be watching, oh, what if God doesn't show up? You know, it takes courage and strength of character to go and pray for people. When people are putting pressure on you to live differently, to compromise in some way, or to engage in some uh, immoral activity, again, there's pressure on you to do that. It takes courage and strength of character to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to live like that. That's not how I want to be. You know, my friend Milton Aguao from Uganda, who I'll see uh, this coming Friday, uh, he, he says this. is a great little quote of his. He says, To have a great testimony, you have had to had a great test. To have a great testimony, you have had to had a great test. And, you know, we all love great testimonies. We all want great testimonies. But in order to get them, We have to go through a difficult time where where things are difficult, where there's temptation for us to turn to the the right, get my rights and left, right, and and, and left. And there's temptations to, 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 to give in and to buckle under the pressure. We have to be strong and courageous to remain true to God. And then, as we plow through, as we break through, then we can have the great testimonies. Now, my friends, this morning... Let's resolve in this season that God is bringing us into to be people that will be strong and courageous for Jesus, that we will step out in all that he calls us to do. And hallelujah, he hasn't left us alone to do that. As he promised Joshua, I'll be with you. He is with us and we can draw strength upon him, upon the Holy Spirit's power to help us to live for Him. He hasn't left us as orphans. You know, it's the Spirit in us who enables us to live for God. It's the Spirit in us as we try and keep in step with Him that helps us reach out to our friends, to our work colleagues, to our, to our neighbours. It's, it's the Spirit's help who helps us to live differently. My friends, let's keep in step with the Holy Spirit. I believe we're entering a season where God will be saying to us, let down those nets again, just as Jesus did to the disciples. Oh, but we've been fishing all night. Let down your nets again. With those people that you've been trying and trying, oh, I've invited them to this, I've spoken to them about that, they're not interested. Let down your nets again and see what God does. My friends, he wants us to be strong and courageous, making the most of every opportunity that he gives us. Finally, there's a cost to following the Lord as well. You notice with Joshua, he reminds the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, of what Moses commanded them, their oath that they'd already said to, that they would do it, and they promise that yeah, we're going to keep it, we're going to follow it. Do you know, they had the, their nice land already. They'd already conquered the bit that they were going to live in. They could already see their vineyard, know their house and say, oh lovely, we could, uh, we could do this here, We could put a trellis up here, or oh, this house, we could uh, extend this here, we could put the TV in the corner over there. They could already picture what they wanted to do and they had the peace to, to do it. But they chose to engage in the battle to which they had been called by God to engage into and to pursue extending the kingdom of God abroad because the Lord had required it of them. My friends, there are no luxuries in the battlefield, which is why I've got that picture of the soldier up on the screen behind us to remind us. There are no luxuries. You don't, you know, he hasn't got a toaster in his backpack there. He hasn't you know, got his TV in there just for when things you know, get a bit hard and he wants to watch an episode or something to cheer him up. There are no luxuries. There are only essentials in the battlefield. My friends, in the UK, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh kind of sum up what Christianity is like for us. Yes, we're called to be in the battle, but it's not quite as hard as it is for many of our other brethren around the world. We're not facing the same sort of persecution. And we can easily get distracted by our own hobbies, by our own holidays, by our own homes as well. And they can become our focus rather than recognize, actually, we're called to be in a battle and keep those things. None of them are wrong, but keep those things in their rightful place and in their rightful perspective, remembering that when you became a Christian... You promised Jesus that you would take up your cross and follow him that you would die to yourself and that you would live for God. There's a call on us as Christians uh, Jesus tells us not to get distracted by the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world which squeeze out God's good seed that he has put in us. This world it's not our home. We're just passing through, as the a, as a song goes. Heaven is. We're called to be people that invest in the age to come with our time, with our energy, and yes, with our finances too. Because Jesus makes it very clear that where our money goes is actually a direct indicator of where uh, the state of our heart is at, where we're truly living for. My friends, Moses... In the book of Hebrews 11, verse 26, tells us that he gave up the riches of Egypt in order to follow what God had called him to do. He, and as a prince of Egypt, he could have had you know, all the pleasures and wealth that you could imagine. My friends, we in the West, we need to choose to engage in this battle. And linked in to our advancing with it is also what we choose to use our money for, our finances uh, for as well. And I believe this is a season where God is calling us again to be sacrificial in this area. My friends, you need to be seeking God again. Thank God. What do you want me to be giving regularly as my regular tithe in this season? Prayerfully consider what God is calling you to do. Day by day. However, there are also some Jericho-taking moments coming up as well, where we have to take big steps of faith, like we have done to get in to this building in, in the first place. That was, that was one to, to build up there, which we've just uh, uh, finished doing. That's, that's another one. And yes, you've guessed it, come this April, there is going to be another Jericho-taking moment, where we have another Gift Day, where we're looking to raise seventy thousand uh, uh, this year uh, to go towards uh, a seed fund for future works that we want to do uh, here in this place, and also to repay some of the, the loans that helped us get up there and, and in here as well. This is the figure that we've been praying about as elders and shared with the trustees that we really feel is uh, the, the, the right figure for us to be praying into and looking to raise. This, uh, in this April so please can I encourage you to prayerfully begin to consider God, what are you calling me in this season to, to give what to, towards this? what's my part to play? And if you're a visitor here or you're new, please don't worry about this. You know this, uh, uh, God always meets us as we look to uh, seek Him in this and you don't have to give anything that you don't want to give, only what God Calls you to give, but God will stir many people to engage in this battle and invest in the kingdom of God, what well, the kingdom's advancement here in Helsham and what He is doing amongst us as a church, as well, knowing that God will meet us every step of the way. My friends, like the Israelites in Joshua 1, we are called to prepare ourselves for this season that God is calling us to enter into. He wants us to be strong and courageous, taking great steps of faith to advance his kingdom here in Helsham, in the surrounding area, and even to the nations as well. Making sure that we make the best use of our time, of our energy, and our finances for him. And as we do that, we know that he is with us every step of the way. And because he is with us, he will make our way prosperous. And he will give us good success because God is with us. Amen? Amen. Can I get you to stand? Can I invite the, the band back up here as well? and we'll, uh, in, in a moment we'll sing uh, Let God Arise for a uh, um, as, a, as a sign of we wanting God to arise in this town, in this nation, to see what he does. But I just feel that I just want to read something over us. It's almost a bit of a charge to us. And so, can I just ask you to put your hands out before God to, to receive this? I believe this is what God is calling us as a church to so just receive this. Christchurch, be strong and courageous. Apply that to your situation that you're in. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord, your God, is with you as you go and share the love of Jesus in Helsham and beyond. By the power of his spirit and to the glory of God the Father. Lord, thank you that all things are from you, that we are completely dependent on you, Lord God. Thank you that you are with us every step of the way, Lord. And Father, as we believe you're bringing us here into a new season, we believe we're bringing this nation into a new season where you're going to move in power And change hearts and lives and call many back to yourself, Lord God. I pray you would help us as your church here to play our part, Lord God. Father, fill us with your strength, Lord God. Fill us with your courage, Lord God. Help us to not give in to our fears, Lord God. Not to give in to distractions or or get dismayed and disappointed with things, Lord God. But Father, as Andy said earlier, to fix our eyes on you, Lord God. Father, help us to follow you and lead us into all that you have got for us. As a church, Lord God, as individuals, Lord God, come, Lord God, and we pray. Have your way amongst us. We surrender ourselves to you afresh this morning and say we want to live for you. We choose, Lord God, to engage in your battle. Lord God, to engage in the things that you're calling us to do as individuals and as a church. Lord God, come and have your way amongst us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a sermon from Christchurch Hailsham. For more information or to contact us, visit ChristchurchHailsham.org.